I'm Chris Mears. And I'm Carla Lindarte. We're two UX designers. And we hate jargon. So we're here to help you untangle the world of design. Cut through the crap and talk about what really matters. Yes, solving people's problems. Welcome to Design Untangled. It's been a while since we've released an episode, so we, Chris and I are very excited to be here today. And we're going to talk about something that um, I'm really, really interested in, and I don't really actually know much about that, which is a bit shameful, but uh, we're going to talk about inclusive design. And today we have amazing Emma, who is, she heads up the inclusive design team at Deloitte Digital. She also chairs the British Interactive Media Association for inclusive design. And she spent the last year as a head of inclusive design for the NHS test and and trace, can't say that. Um, So Emma, welcome. And Chris, hello. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me and that lovely introduction. Yeah, I hope I said everything right because I always make mistakes. So if I did, please correct us. Um, right, so Emma, really, really excited to have you. I've been It's been a while since I wanted to talk to you about all of this. And let's start with something um, potentially a bit basic, but we can you explain to us what, what is inclusive design and why is that different or, or is it different from accessibility? Yeah, sure. So this can be a bit of a confusing one because they're very tightly coupled as concepts and there is a lot of overlap between them. And in in my view, you can't necessarily do one successfully without the other. But inclusive design, if we start with that, is a practice or a methodology where you build solutions uh, with people who have historically been excluded from participating in those solutions. So it's really a design methodology that puts people who are typically excluded at the heart of your design process and therefore the solutions that you create consider the needs of all humans. So that's beyond just disability. It could be age, digital literacy skills, language, gender, Uh, all forms of exclusion, permanent or situational. So, you know, it could also consider people who are unwell, you know, if they've broken a leg or even if they've lost their glasses, it's just about designing um, with all of those situations uh, in mind. So I see inclusive design more as the upfront conceptual design and how you shape a solution with excluded groups. Whereas accessibility is more an attribute of the things that we make based on a set of standards. So you might have heard of the WCAG standards, which is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. And they're the standards that we meet in the products that we create. So that's weighted a little bit more on the delivery side. There's a lot of professional roles with deep expertise in technical accessibility and in how to meet that criteria. Uh, but accessibility may not necessarily involve design contribution from excluded groups, you know, to make something accessible in the way that inclusive design would. Um, would you say that, I mean, in my experience, even talking about accessibility in a lot of places is quite a foreign concept to 
many organizations would you say inclusive design is sort of more well known than accessibility or less um i i'd say less at this point and i think it's only relatively recently um relatively recent that they are becoming their own two distinct practices so i think for a long time accessibility has been um is very much kind of growing in awareness and it's it's skyrocketed over the last kind of five or ten years in terms of awareness and understanding and I think inclusive design was kind of lumped in with that but actually I think in the last even just the last year or two there's an understanding that inclusive design is a practice in and a methodology in its own right separate to accessibility and so I would say it's probably less well known in in my experience yeah and how did you get into inclusive design so I went, when I was working in Sydney about seven years ago, I went to a talk on accessibility specifically. Um, and that was this huge light bulb moment for me. Somehow I got through four years of design education and a number of years working and I wasn't ignoring accessibility, but I just wasn't you know, really aware of it. I hadn't come across it. Uh, and at that moment, I really thought, this is what I want to do. I'd always been really passionate about quality and inclusion. This is how I want to channel my creative energy and and what I want to do every day. Uh, because I was a, a designer at that point. I was a UI UX designer. And then I think a couple of weeks after I went to that talk and I had that huge epiphany, I moved to London. And by chance, the first project that I went on to was with an incredible client of ours. I can't mention them by name, but their customer base is exclusively people who have disabilities. And I worked with them for 18 months. It was this incredible, immersive experience in inclusive research, inclusive design, how to design and build accessible products. And from there, it's really just my passion grew and uh, I think talking with a lot of people with disabilities and research understanding how I don't think I can swear on a podcast can I how crappy the internet is for people so many people with disabilities Um, so I just from there that's really what I wanted to do so I started out in accessibility but over the years have really more moved you know shifted things to the left with the design process and focused more on how you can bring excluded people into the design process than actually the technical build side of things yeah um, you can definitely swear in our podcast so don't worry about yeah it. i mean <laughs> to be honest 90 percent of the content is swearing <laughs> oh, <laughs> well i was going to say how, how how shit the internet is really for <laughs> so many you know and there's all these this you know if a if a physical building was not accessible or inclusive there would be outrage you know but they're just it just it feels like there's still nowhere near the awareness that there needs to be that most digital products are completely um, inaccessible to people with so with disabilities with many disabilities and um, so so yeah I, I was I felt passionate but also angry I think at that point when I had that uh, light bulb moment I guess yeah well. Um- you're not necessarily an excluded person, right? And, or are you? And um, how, so that moment, how did you actually found, actually found that that was your passion? And, you know, how do you get connected to that? It's a bit interesting, isn't it? Mm. 
Yeah, so that is something that I'm conscious of and you know, beyond being female, I don't experience the level of exclusion or discrimination that a lot of other people do. And really the whole point of inclusive design is to bring those perspectives into your design process. But the way that I see it is that this is everyone's responsibility to fix and this is the best way that I know to be an ally to use you know my skills and you know what I can do within my organization to advocate for these methodologies so I don't think you do need to be you know necessarily someone who is particularly excluded yourself to advocate for this you know an analogy might be with the Black Lives Matter movement you know if people of color were the only ones you know preaching the value of Black Lives Matter then you know the movement might not nearly go at you know where it needs to or as far as it needs to and so I think it's yeah it's it's the best way that I know how to be an ally and I think what's really important to just consider alongside that is that you really need to have diverse perspectives on your team, ideally in your leadership. And and that can be tricky if your broader organization is not as diverse as it needs to be. Uh, but I think failing that, that's where the inclusive design methodologies come in, where you bring those uh, perspectives into the heart of your design process through your research and your testing and everything like that. It's interesting because throughout your career, you've had the opportunity to work, as you mentioned, on projects where I guess and I assume it allows you to to learn a lot about it. Because as you were talking about this, I've been in the industry for a very long time and accessibility has always been like a tick box, right? Is is the color accessible? Is this and that? But there isn't, or maybe I'm just ignorant around the topic, but there isn't like lots of um guidelines of things that you have to consider especially if you're talking about a wider range of uh of you know criteria as you mentioned at the beginning it could be you know someone who um has had an accident or can't read properly or you know there's so many different things to think about so what apart from obviously experience what other kind of sources of information you constantly like um you know reviewing or how how do you learn more about this because mm. I, I think that there is still as you said a lot of designers out there who they don't necessarily don't care but just just there's not much information out there is it or maybe it's just me being ignorant about it mm. no yeah it's it's a really good question because I think it can feel quite intimidating because it is so broad as a topic and you're talking about covering so many forms of exclusion but I think in a way, inclusive design is a lot more simple than accessibility because really at the core of it, all it means is bringing as many excluded groups into your design process as you can. So making your research as diverse as you possibly can. And so I think it's, it, and you can't, you know, you can't necessarily solve for all forms of exclusion. You know, that there, there might be a process depending on what you're trying to solve or what you're trying to do where you identify, you know, a number of different groups or you decide that 
you want to run an initiative, you know, purely around digital literacy. Um, you can work with the type of feedback that is coming back through user research through other feedback mediums to help prioritize the areas that you want to tackle, you know, you know, within inclusive design or, or to help you form a roadmap, you know, maybe it's something like a continuous inclusive discovery where you constantly have people from different uh, excluded groups, you, you know, involved in your design process, or you could look at it where, you know, you prioritize and you tackle specific groups as part of a broader roadmap and you think, okay, uh, we're going to focus on disability and and bring those people into our design process and then we might move on to other forms of exclusion. So I think it's, in a way, it's it's simple because it really is just about involving those people in the design process and uh, making sure that their voices are, are heard and you're not designing for them, you're co-designing with them. So it's it's really about that research element, I think, is is what it comes down to. But yeah, there are considerations around prioritization and things too. Um, so just picking up on that a bit, um, I know, like, ideally, this wouldn't be the case, but some organisations, it can be very difficult to get even any budget to do just research with anyone, let alone kind of specifically trying to recruit for excluded groups. So how can designers and researchers and anyone else working on products try and sort of sell in the idea that this is something that is something that organisations should be doing, basically? Yeah, so I think there's a number of things that you can do. One of them is that, I mean, there is a huge number of benefits to inclusive design, you know, beyond the fact that it's it's the right thing that we should be doing uh, to create inclusive experiences that allow everyone to participate in, you know, whatever experience you're designing. But there's a whole host of benefits that people a lot of people are totally unaware of and it's about kind of bringing them to light so you know for example being able to reach a broader audience 23 percent of the uk population has some form of disability uh positive reputational value you know there's this huge increased focus on ethical business practice Uh, avoiding legal risk often can help as an argument Uh, i find that um that can um, prick people's ears up when you you uh, you know outline the the risk of of having uninclusive experiences, particularly in the U.S. because they have a, a more of a litigation culture than what we have here. Um, but also, it reduces costs uh, if you invest in inclusive design and accessibility upfront. That significantly reduces your you know costs of inevitably having to retrofit retrofit things down the line. So there's all of these benefits and really there's a huge number of articles online that outline, you know, all of these things and anyone can pull together a really basic business case and take it to, you know, no matter who you are, you know, you, you might've just entered the workforce and, and you've seen that, you know, processes or your research is not as diverse as it needs to be. Anyone can take, pull together this type of information it's really widely available and put that in front of someone who's making decisions and say you know this is worth investing in here's how we can save money by doing it now and not you know retrofitting it later to be inclusive so I would say make the case would be my my um 
my number one tip for this. So following up on that, um, and this might get a a little bit more detail, but if you were to, let's say you, you kind of, you know, you do your case and your client or your organization kind of buy in, buys into it. I'm just thinking more in terms of like research planning and, you know, as you, as you have like a, a particular budget, would you recommend to, because there's a bit, obviously when you have a research plan in place, you have a screener, you have like, this is your kind of user type, so target consumer or user um do you know you normally just go for people without those disabilities or you know you go for whoever is available so how do you make sure you incorporate inclusive um you know inclusivity if i say that into your research plans um so is it that you i don't know if you bring in like you know people of color for certain sessions or how do you do it like just obviously as I said it might be a bit detailed but it would be good to kind of provide an example perhaps of a project that you've run recently to just to give people like uh, a guidance of how to do that within the actual research process yeah sure Carla so I mean I think at a basic level when you are designing your research it's really important to include specs there that are um, that you discuss. Well, I think actually, sorry, moving even earlier than that, when you choose the agency or your recruiting method, you should consider how you are going to make sure that the people that you're going to reach are going to be diverse. So if you are using an agency, it's having that conversation with the agency and saying, you know, do you have the ability to... Um, provide diverse participants. You know, do you uh, do you have you know people with disabilities? Do you have people of color um, within your pool of participants that you can provide to us? And make sure that's part of the conversation upfront. Um, and then, if you were to carry on with an agency, making sure that it's part of your uh, your requirements or your screener that you want a certain for example, and thinking about the different lenses of exclusion. So you want a certain percentage of those participants to have disabilities. Uh, You want a certain percentage to be of non-white backgrounds. You want a certain percentage to potentially even be non-English speakers. Um, That can complicate your research. You know, you might need translators uh, and making sure that it's part of your screener and what you hand over to them is a hard requirement and you discuss it early on. And I would over-index on, you know, the number of people who, who might be typically excluded because what I've seen is that when you have different perspectives in your design process, it really is this incredible catalyst for new ideas and innovation and it inevitably uh, leads to solutions that are better for everyone, you know, not just those people who are excluded. So um, I would over-index and aim really high on the percentage that you're asking for uh, in your recruitment and that that shouldn't impact the cost if if you're doing that um, necessarily. In, in, in some cases, if you're looking at some groups, it might take them more time, uh, but it's really about thinking about it, you know, at the beginning when you choose your agency or recruitment method and then when you create that screener uh, and then it's about uh, 
you know, making sure that you uh, prepare as best you can to make sure that that session is kind of safe and well designed and, and you're able to meet that participant's needs as well. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, that sounds really good. So it's kind of like you define what the kind of inclusive or inclusivity or inclusive design means for you and your project and what the criteria is. So you kind of have that up front, right? And then that is then embedded into pretty much every research um, initiative that you have throughout the project. So that makes a lot of sense if, if it's done in that way. So as you said, it, do, it shouldn't really change budget. It's just basically making sure that that criteria is part of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's it's just making sure that all the research that you do, that is baked into it. But then if you wanted to go above and beyond that, you know, you might do a specific uh, piece of research with different excluded groups to kind of build up your your knowledge on those groups and then that could be used as a basis for future design um, so you know you might decide to specifically do a week of research with people with cognitive disabilities uh, or a week of research with people with low digital literacy and then you're building up you know your organizational knowledge of those groups you can um, ideally hold on to that insight and those needs and that can form you know a basis of information that you can also design from in future and, and, and that you can share out you know across your teams and your organization uh, and so you can kind of build up your knowledge that way of you know how different groups interact with your your products as well but the yeah the absolute essential is that all the research you're doing does have that diversity kind of baked in yeah Cool. And I just wanted to revisit something you touched on quickly at the start, which is about the idea of temporary exclusion. So, yeah, some people may not think of themselves as excluded, but if you've ever had a child and had to get around town with a pram and, you know, get through shops or whatever, that is a severe pain in the ass, to put it mildly. Um, so I'm just wondering if you've seen maybe some good and bad examples of like how inclusive design has either been thought about or not been thought about in the physical world as well. I think that'd be quite interesting to touch on. Yeah, so so yeah, you you raise a, a really good point that it's it's I think the parent one is interesting and it actually comes up quite a lot that, you know, having a baby in one arm while you're trying to do something with the other means that, you know, you don't have kind of you know, both your hands to do a task or, you know, you need to get around with a pram, for example. Uh, I think that, I mean, we're all very complex humans and our needs are changing constantly every day. And uh, yet yeah, that is one form of, you know, temporary uh, exclusion that, that you might experience it, depending on your environment. And there's, there's this model that inclusive design prescribes to this model of disability, but I think it applies for other forms of exclusion as well. Um, it's called the social model of disability. And the social model of disability says that someone is only disabled by their environment. It's not their impairment that disables them. So for example, a wheelchair user or someone with a pram is not disabled until they reach an environment that hasn't been designed with, with their needs in mind. 
whereas the medical model, which is is you know completely outdated and we're moving away from that, is that um, the impairment is the problem and that someone needs to um, you know work around, make their environment work for them. Uh, and I think that you know example of you know having a kid and getting around with a pram around shops and things is is a good one because you know for example curb cuts in in the road so originally curb cuts were designed for uh, people in wheelchairs specifically and that is a really you know incredible example of inclusive design and how that has gone on to improve experiences for everyone so uh everyone uses the curb cuts and and you know people with prams people with trolleys you know kids on tricycles that's extended to uh to everyone so so i think that would be that would be one one example um of where i've seen inclusive design extend to temporary forms of exclusion so people with prams um in the physical world where it hasn't worked out so well. I don't do so much work in the physical world, more more the digital. Um, and really, I only have seen positive examples of this. So if you think about digitally, you know, for example, um, designing with people who have cognitive disabilities or autism will lead to the simplification of written content and actually everyone uh, needs simple content. You know, no one wants to be reading like overly complex, complicated things. Um, You know, it works better for children. It works better for um, people who might speak English as a second language, but it also just works for people who are like are really stressed and anxious and busy, which happens to all of us, which you could consider, um, you know, temporary exclusion. Uh, or, you know, making your tap targets bigger uh, by co-designing with people who have Parkinson's uh, actually works for everyone. You know, again, if you're stressed and you're anxious and you need to do things on the run, um, or maybe you're booking a late night Uber and you've had a few too many drinks, like there's there's so many scenarios where I think um, I've only really seen positive where, you know, you design for exclusion and then it extends to benefit everyone when they experience those moments um, of temporary exclusion, as you said, Chris. Yeah, that's super, super interesting. I was actually going to ask that as well. Um, and you've already answered my question, but it was around, um, you know, how do you make sure that as you're designing for, um, you know, inclusive, uh, sorry, excluded people, um, you don't forget about, you know, um, the rest of the population, but it actually, with the examples that you've given, is actually a very, very positive way of seeing it, right? Because everyone wants simplification. Everyone's, everyone wants to be, especially on the web, to be able to, um, you know, understand things and simplify things. So it's a really, really good example. So thank you for that. Um, we are running out of time now, and I would love to keep talking to you about this because it's super, super interesting. Um, something that we normally ask everyone, our guests, um, normally um, at the end of the podcast is, is there any recommendations in terms of, you know, a book to read or someone to follow or um, a video to watch or something that... Um, 
you would like to share with the audience so they can learn more about this or keep you know on top of what's going on in terms of inclusive design um please uh, if you if you have something to share it'd be great yeah I do I would recommend I would recommend uh, there's a book by Kat Holmes Kat Holmes uh was the head of inclusive design at Microsoft for a long time and she did incredible things there so that's another um that's something else to follow is 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 Microsoft and their in- inclusive design toolkit and and everything they're doing inclusive design they've been kind of light years ahead for a long time on both inclusive design and accessibility but Kate uh Kat Holmes wrote a book called Mismatched and it's you know that's really based in that social model of disability that it's mismatches between a person and their environment that causes exclusion uh, and she really covers all of the principles of inclusive design uh, and and uh, it's it's a really great book so I that's what I would recommend. Cool awesome we'll pop those in the show notes so people can check them out um, so all that remains is for us to say thank you very much for coming on today it's been great. Thank you, Emma. It was really, really interesting to talk to you. Thank you so much again. No worries. Thanks for having me. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled.com.